0: you're listening to the Enneagram and Marriage Podcast. I'm your host, Krista Harden, and I'm here in the studio with my awesome executive assistant, Olivia Heyman. Hey, guys. Today, we're talking about dispelling marriage myths, and we want you to know that as we discuss Enneagram and marriage at large, we want to break down some of those stereotypes or things that people really don't like about the Enneagram. One of those is that people are always typing others. And that gets on a lot of people's nerves. So that's one of the first stereotypes that I think we'll jump in with today as we dispel Enneagram myths. And Olivia's laughing over here because we are going to just admit it that sometimes we have typed people. And I know you guys have too because I see your memes
1: all over the place. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yes. I love those Enneagram memes. They're hilarious, (laughs) but I feel like they're never accurate. Yes, I know what you mean. I'm like, that is not like, if you even, if you were a six, you would know that that's not true.
0: That's when you know. It's when you look at yours
1: and you're like, no, that is not me. I promise that is not me. Yeah, there was one of Goat's the other day that I saw, and I'm like, that is the weirdest thing. And one girl was like, oh my gosh, she's a six wing seven too. And she's like, oh my gosh, that's so me. And I'm like, on what planet is that us? Like, I don't know what you're talking about. So I just think that's really funny. And hence
0: the witty banter of a six that I love so much. (laughs) literally my favorite thing about Olivia. Oh, my God. Oh, thank she, you. And she has that three going, too, where she's like, I am going to speak my truth.
1: Yeah. And so, <laughs> I'm laughing, like, you better watch out. Like, I mean, I, I pick up on social cues enough to, like, not say something when I know it's not yes, welcome. But I'm yes. also like, if you don't like it, you can go somewhere else.
0: Well, and that's the funny <laughs> thing, too, is sixes are often misconstrued as eights because sixes have that yeah. counter six part of them, the folk counterphobic part. Mm-hmm. And they love to just also give it to people. They like to have fun and tell the truth. And it's just a lot of fun as long as you have the personality that you can handle that in dialogue which I come from a family of lawyers and debaters so I am so used to that and I just love it so I think that we are really both of us feeling like this past year Enneagram and Coffee got started this year I didn't realize it's only been one year since that whole thing started with Sarah Jane. No, I thought it had
1: been around for like at least two years. No, it just
0: had their year anniversary Wow, as just before 2020 so end of the year she must have started it December 2018. And we've been on a whirlwind with Enneagram. I came to learn about it a few years ago. I don't know when her journey started. I know people like Ian Cron and Suzanne Stabile started many, many years ago. But it's so fun. It's just, of course, with this onset of everybody talking about it in the media, we have gotten ourselves in a bit of a pickle.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think everybody's like, Oh, I I'm going to I'm going to sit here and create a whole Instagram with no background, like mm-hmm. no nothing. What I like is that you actually have a clinical psychology background. Yeah, so I, I feel like you that. you can kind of create connections where other people like there's a disconnect if you don't understand how the mind works and how we process things. And so I like that you kind of bring more of that, yes, this is how we process and this is why. And you Thank can kind you. of say like, okay, well, Like you were saying eights, you grew up in a family of like eights and Mm -hmm. and a bunch of other things, but still eights were like a main thing. Mm -hmm. So you can say eights, they act like this because this is happening and this is probably how they're processing things. Mm -hmm. So I like that you bring that in because I think that adds a level of understanding and um, just wisdom where there is a little bit of a, okay, yeah, they do that, but why? And so I think that's really fun that you bring that in.
0: I love that part of this field. And I totally have respect for people who are even way more wise about the Enneagram than me. But what I love to do here is combine marriage with it, because I don't think you can have just Enneagram when you're talking about marriage. As much as I think that Enneagram is amazing, one of the other myths, I think, besides just us joking about memes and people typing others, is that we really see a lot of people saying Enneagram is everything to marriage, and I really wanted this podcast and Instagram account to be called Enneagram in Marriage, not because it's only marriage with an Enneagram focus, but because marriage is an important topic anyway. And so I think Olivia is right. When we look back at our family patterns, we see all kinds of different things. Some of it can be explained by type, but let's also dispel the myth that Enneagram is everything here on this podcast, because sometimes you're just needing to tell people how to deal with their anger. And you're realizing Enneagram can take me really far with that, because you can go really deep with the Enneagram into wings and subtypes and you can go back to the teachings of the Sufis, and and I mean, you can take it so many generations back, but you're also going to need some of the gifts from other people in the psychological community, like Virginia Satir, and Carl Rogers, and Gestalt, and all these people who have other ideas, and one Olivia is probably familiar with, Freud. <laughs> yes, There's a lot we get from Freud that we can bring into marriage studies as well, so that's one of my favorite things about Enneagram and marriage is we're not locked, and I think that goes so well with me being a seven that I think being locked in was not an attractive concept for me when I started Enneagram and Marriage, but once I realized that the true nature of studying anything in life would bring you back to God's truth, it relaxed me enough to start this account and to go for it and to stick with it because I knew that... That's how I had one with my counseling business too, is knowing that people will always present different issues. Same with people with Enneagram. You're always going to have different situations and most of it will be able to be helped with the Enneagram, but not everything. So maybe what I really want from you for you to take in part from this episode is that when you're dealing with a family issue, don't rush in to say, you're just doing that because you're a two. Or she's acting like such a one right now. I think better is if you take the lens of, I see that one in her right now, but I also know what she's capable of and competent with, and I'm not going to lock her in. I don't know if, Olivia, you've had this experience, but some people get downright upset when you start throwing Enneagram into a heated debate. Have you ever had that happen?
1: Not... Not like that, um, but I actually was just talking with a friend yesterday, and when you were saying this, I'm like, "Oh yeah, totally." I they were (laughs) explaining an issue that they had, and they never really had heard about the Enneagram. They knew a lot about like you know Myers Briggs or something like that, but Mm -hmm. they didn't really know about the Enneagram. Mm -hmm. And so I was explaining why it could be really helpful in this situation because they couldn't understand why this person was treating them the way they were, Mm -hmm. and. I'm like, okay, well, it's one of two things. Either they are just joking or they're being nasty. Mm -hmm. And so I was explaining a little bit more about why it would be helpful to try and figure out, and obviously you you don't want to like type somebody, but at least to figure out, okay, they might be like this person Mm -hmm. here Mm -hmm. or this type. Then it would give you a little more understanding as to why the person is acting the way they're acting and that you can figure out what is their their core um, kind of, I don't know. Issue or defense mechanism. Yeah. Like, what what is the the main reason why they kind of do what they do? If you know that, then you can probably figure out are they joking or are they being serious? Mm. And so I really liked that because even though you don't want to be like, hey, take this test so I can figure out why you're so mean, (laughs) you know, it's like it gives you a little bit of understanding. And also, knowing your own type gives you understanding of why you react or maybe think the way that you do when a situation arises. Mm. Because I think that you start like over processing. Mm-hmm. And you're like, why am I doing that? Okay, what about this? What about that? And you just end up down like this whole path that you did not need to go down. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's um it's really cool that you're able to kind of use that as not a sole reasoning for why they do what they do, but... An understanding that you didn't have before that gives you a little bit of clarity in a situation.
0: That's exactly what we use the Enneagram for is to give clarity in a situation. I love that. And it's so important that people use it for that reason. And I love even how you're using it, where you're having some inner dialogue as you're trying to understand a friend and say, perhaps they're a type eight. And this is where we just hit upon one of their worst nightmares. And we're just going to take a step back here and remember this and give some grace and not judge. And I think that's one of the most important things you can use the Enneagram for versus just a flat-out label, and you're so three right now, and this is just because you're a nine, and I think that's a real issue in marriage because it's an exciting tool, but when people get their hands on it, it's kind of like, you know, the Ring of Power and Lord of the Rings, and if you know me at all, I always go back to that.
1: <laughs> no, I, need, I need to watch that movie. I'm, I've yes. never seen any of them, so I'm always like, huh, what? <laughs> I love your honesty. Oh, it's just great. So
0: yes, so the ring of power is basically us holding and lording over others that we have access to the understanding about them and to all things. And so the Enneagram can be used and wielded in a way that is very toxic and unhealthy. And it should instead be used as a way to paint a beautiful picture of somebody that is a little bit lighter than our heavier judgments. And that's really what I want to do when we're dispelling marriage myths is the myth that anybody is just a type or has to be limited by their type's typical schema. Um, And as much as I don't want us to judge others in that way because I want everyone to have that freedom in Christ to be all the types at their best. I also want us to be able to use it as a tool that enlightens us about each other so that we can be blessed by each other's gifts. And when somebody is acting out of sorts, we can actually understand and put on grace for them and say, oh, they're, they're a four right now. They're probably feeling like the grass is greener on the other side. They're probably not feeling like I sat in deep pain with them for long enough and I want to make sure I honor that space for them. And I think that's where we can dig in and go so deep with the Enneagram. I know for me, it was a very powerful feeling when i learned my own father's enneagram type when i learned he was an 8 it was so fun he took the enneagram institute at the time had a free version of the test and he took that and he called me on the phone and he said i'm an 8 the challenger and he was very matter-of-fact about it and it was just so fun because i was able to finally look at my father in a way that was healing and freeing and it was life-changing for me i gave him so much more grace in that moment than i'd ever given him. So that's the beauty of what typing can do on the other side. So I don't want you to dismiss it altogether. I just want you guys to be careful in your marriages when you're typing people. Similarly, when my husband found out he was a one, his first reaction was very strong. And as many of you know, ones are instinctual. So the reaction was a bit of anger And frustration and actually the test I believe at the time that he took gave him the label of perfectionist, which I really don't like when I see the one get that label because it's so unfair. So many of us get the label of for me, I think I got enthusiast. And it wasn't like scattered. You know, it should the have said brain. if it was to be fair and called the one the perfectionist, it should have said the seven is the scattered one, you know, and it should have said four victimized,
1: you know, yeah. oh my gosh. And it was
0: like me and everyone else got these nice ones. And then one got like perfectionist and everyone yeah. knows that's a negative term.
1: Yeah, I, I think I think they're more like, um. You know, <laughs> the only thing that I can think of is like the OCD one. Like yeah. that's what it's pretty much saying. And it's, yeah. I think people don't like the Enneagram. This is what I've heard most. I don't like it because it's calling me out. It's basically naming everything that's wrong with me. Mm. And I'm like, no, that's not what it is. It's like it's useful because y- you can kind of have a little bit more of an understanding as to your downsides so that you can work on them. Mm-hmm. It's not saying you're this bad person. You're never going to like resurrect from this. Mm-hmm. It's just saying, hey, here are some areas that you can probably improve on. But here are also your amazing strengths that other people don't have. Yes. You know, it's it's a very like two-sided coin. So make sure you mm-hmm. look at both sides. Mm-hmm. And I know other people call a one... Um, so, like it's something a lot the reformer, better. the reformer. Yes, that's yes. what it is. And mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, that actually has some like action and some depth to it. Instead yes, of I prefer the perfectionist. That. Like you know, the I just yeah, it's it's not the nicest, but I know mm-hmm. that I know that ones enjoy having things. You know, they want to do it to the best of their ability, which mm-hmm. I think could be misconstrued as perfectionism.
0: Right, and I think one at an average to low level can become a perfectionist. So it's an important and an accurate reading of them when they're in a lower state. So I like as a seven and with my four in my tri-type, I like the ideals and the nine in my tri-type, I like the peace. So I was really happy when Wes was able to take a deep breath and give it a second look. So I do want you to, to do that if you immediately took a first look at the Enneagram and you were disappointed. It is a lot like people checking in on your mail and reading it and it's embarrassing and shameful. And then we find at the end of it when we've tried to go up the growth path to the top that sometimes we're still stuck in ourselves and we're like, oh no, I'm so bummed and disappointed. I'm still me after all this work.
1: I'm still me. <laughs> Dang it.
0: It is hard. Let's just admit it. Sometimes we don't like ourselves. But the beautiful thing, like Olivia said, is it gives you a better growth path so that you know what you look like when you're at your best. If you don't even know what you look like when you're at your best, what are you going to shoot for? How are you going to get there? So I I think that when my husband was, even it only took him a few minutes, he looked back again and he saw it for real. And then he read Ian's book. He loved it so much. He actually used the checklist for the type one that Ian has in The Road Back to You. And he said, Every single thing on this checklist fits me to a T. And I feel so known and valued and loved. And then for me as a seven, I was able to dispel myths that I had about him. And we all do this. And I use this in my coaching and counseling sessions a lot. We hero, villainize ourselves in our marriages. And I was able to de-villainize Wes as somebody who got angry too quickly and judged too harshly to, this person has a broken story where this has been a very safe place for him. And that was really powerful. Similarly, when he looked at me as a seven and he's like, oh, she's socially well-liked. She's all over the place. She's bubbly. She's joyful he was able to see those as strengths versus weaknesses instead of she's scattered and she's all over and she's messy. And so it really gave us an enormous advantage in our marriage to stop that early 20s kind of fun that leads into 30s judgment when you're raising your little kids. But headed, we kind of got in touch with it in our late 30s. We were able to say, wow, This is just us being us. We love each other. And as Olivia was saying, a lot of people want those kinds of marriages. You were encouraging me by saying people that are millennials, they want richer, deeper marriages. Have you heard that from some of your peers?
1: Yeah, I think so. And I think even I know technically I'm Gen Z. Mm -hmm. Because I'm I was I was literally one year off from a millennial. millennial, Which I actually like because I know my kids. Yeah, yeah. I actually like Gen Z because they're very much like Let's do things better, and let's let's be more. Um, I don't know. Like, Learned let's look from at things, the past. Yeah, kind of yes. like let's be a little bit more analytical and not so feelingsy. Mm. And I like that because mm-hmm. I think I think a lot of times feelings get you in trouble when it's too all over the place and roller coaster like. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like that Gen Z is kind of like okay, let's look at what's happened so far. Let's survey the land and kind of see mm. should we continue on this path or is this a path of trouble or of um, of a roller coaster lifestyle, mm. and I think they're kind of saying, ah, "I've seen a lot of things from this generation that are roller coastery, so I'm mm. going to veer to this side." Mm. And I think that's really, um, that's kind of always the path that I have. But I was like, "But everybody else is a millennial, and so you're mm. sort of like, do I just go there and like go for it because I'm only a year in between, or do I actually go the path that I feel like I'm supposed to go on?" And so I think that the the Gen Z people and the like, I guess earlier or later depending on which way you look at it, uh, millennials, I think all of us together are sort of like, yeah, like let's, let's kind of look at this and see what we want to do. And we were even talking about how they've seen their parents' marriages that Mm -hmm. a lot of them came from broken homes and saw the fighting and the arguing and the passive aggressiveness. And they're like, I don't want that. And they've taken very valuable steps to not only improve themselves, but to, um, give more grace where grace has been lost in their parents' mm, marriages. And they mm-hmm. said, okay, let's look at this. And that's why I think our generation really, really enjoys um, personality tests in mm-hmm. the Enneagram because you see millennials and Gen Z, they love Enneagram. Right. So I think they've really used that and taken that to heart and said, how can I be more gracious to people? Because that is something that I think in the hustle and bustle of life, um, probably the, I guess older millennials feel like they've lost that because mm-hmm. it's like a survival mode, you know, like I just have to get through this. And so the grace just isn't there. Whereas mm-hmm. I think the, the younger generations are feeling a little bit more like, no, we have time for it because if you don't give grace, you're going to regret it later on and it's going to be a, a snowball effect. So let's mm-hmm. look at people for who they are. Let's see what their you know core motivations are and let's give them grace where grace is needed.
0: Oh, my gosh. That is just so encouraging to hear that the younger generations are doing that. And I do see it all over. And I am so excited because even this morning when people were giving me their different reasons for being angry on Enneagram and Marriage Instagram, they were qualifying it with important qualifications. This Mm -hmm. is because my husband is a six. This is because he's a one. And they were dialoguing about it and understanding it in a new way. And that was so different, like you said, from the older generations who are driven by good things like tradition that Mm -hmm. keeps us molded together but as i was saying with wes and i we had to we had to learn and to grow and to be willing to take in this new information instead of saying let's get stuck on our path that we're always used to which is judging each other or even you know i think this is a strong term but we can do this sometimes demonize each other, um, where we say, look, you're terrible, I can't be near you, Um, I have to divorce you. And we're going to see less divorces, I believe, with tests like the Enneagram emerging, because people are going to have a deeper understanding. And therefore, we're debunking some myths that marriage has to look one way, because there are so many marriages that look different ways. And the myth we earlier dispelled was that even a marriage between a four and a seven, even let's go down to it, even if they were the same wing, same subtype, same tri-type, there's always going to be a unique personal flair so that we can grow, learn, you know, get a sense for ourselves. And plus, when you're married long enough, you're not even the same person you were when you married young, like Olivia referenced early. Wes and I married super young. We were 21 years old. We're different now. We have a resurrected marriage. It's come through different seasons. I'm sure it will look very different in 20 more years. So I think that it's really important and exciting that we're not as judgmental. And I love hearing that the younger generation is able to do that with a lot more grace and hopefully we will see less divorces resulting from that. So that's very encouraging that you guys in Gen Z are learning from the mistakes of the older generations. That's beautiful. The sins of the father echoes in my mind from my Wheaton professors.
1: Ooh, that's so good. Yeah, actually, I, yes. you just said that, um, you said earlier that um, Wheaton is like the Christian Harvard. And I had no idea about that. I I just knew that it was like, another like really great school like to be able to say oh that I was like that's so cool I never I never knew that so random little tidbit yeah <laughs> that I learned <laughs> yeah it was it came
0: to me because last night my daughters and I were on this Gilmore Girls kick and oh, yes. they're young teens and we were watching Rory I don't know if you're familiar yeah. with the show you are totally oh, yes, a lot of yeah. our listeners probably are Gilmore Girls goes with Enneagram <laughs> yes absolutely <laughs> we've seen the
1: memes about Luke I've even done some <laughs> you know it's so funny I got um, a Luke's sweatshirt for Christmas oh, my God. and I was like like, oh, perfect. Like I didn't ask for it or anything. It was, yeah. it was just like, it was given to me. And I'm like, that's so ironic. The six gets the six sweatshirt. It
0: is. <laughs> and my nine got his t-shirt. So seriously? Yes. No he has way. That. Six, we're going to have to nine, wear, three, wear it together. <laughs>
1: flavor going. Yeah, you guys have to wear it together. Oh my gosh.
0: They're friends too. So it's yes. awesome. So we were watching last night and Rory was planning to go to Harvard all these years. And then it reminded me of Wheaton. And I'm like, I remember the day I got my Wheaton acceptance letter because her and her mom didn't make the, a big enough deal. And my mm. four daughter was feeling... The injustice of the way they just kind of glossed over and they opened the mailbox and they got the letter. And I know this isn't a side, but it's a really fun one. Yeah. So she was looking at this big envelope and she was saying, Mom, they didn't make a big enough deal when she got her letters of acceptance to Harvard, Yale, and Princeton. Where's the joy? Because she's got the joy in her tri-type too. And Forrest loved to feel things deeply and express it with love. And and I said, I don't know, but I do remember when I got my thick envelope from Wheaton that I had been planning to get it for days. I was, of course, on pins and needles with my six in my wing. <laughs> and so my mail carrier even knew the story. And Wendy was her name. And she was, you know, we I knew everything about her life story because as the counselor personality, everybody tells me everything. Mail carriers, grocery clerks, I'm sure a lot of you can relate <laughs> out there. I hear it all. And my kids know this. So Wendy and her autistic son, and I just loved hearing about their life together, was running in sweaty, beads of sweat just pouring off of her. And she had my thick envelope and she's like breathless like oh my gosh here it is and so we opened it together and I got my acceptance letter oh that's
1: so cute (laughs) Wendy's like this is the best time of my life so funny. I'm not even getting accepted It's the best day. <laughs> and I'm like, and I'm leaving to another state. What does this say about our relationship? Yeah. So but, you left you left from Michigan to yes, Chicago? Yes, I left from w- Michigan to Chicago oh, at the so time. Funny. And now we live in Florida. Yeah.
0: But it was a fun journey and it was such a good journey for my husband and I as newlyweds to get out of Dodge for a little while, literally in this case, because Michigan is the motor city. But
1: oh, 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 oh lol, <laughs> that's
0: funny. <laughs> so we had a really awesome two years, but we had to go back when my mom had a stroke. And then a few years later, after After she passed, we even have transitioned to Florida. So we don't regret that at all. But anyway, I really love that you didn't know that about Wheaton. And it really reminds us just that as we try to look at our stories a little deeper, we just want to have that deep, deep Love and grace for ourselves, our spouse, and each other. And thank you, Olivia, for your grace for me.
1: Oh my so. God! I don't know. I don't. There's like never any grace to be given. Like you're always Aww. just so easygoing and well, and chill and, and easy to work with. So I'm well, really blessed you. by that too.
0: You too. I love it. And I want to talk next with you guys about what combos work best and dispel the myth that actually there are perfect combos out there. Because that's a question I get a lot in my DMs: is what are the best combos? And I really mean Enneagram type combos here. So I want to remind you that each combination has its strengths and its areas for growth and there is no perfect combo. Now I will say in jest that this Christmas there was an influx of nines and fives writing me and saying that they had a fantastic blast and I was really happy but the question was who did not have a good time And they said, I had a great time. (laughs) So they were really cute because they wrote me a different answer than what I'd even asked. But I also was like, oh, thank you. You knew that I needed to have a little encouragement because everybody was saying, at first, I did the survey. I love to do polls and surveys. And I did the survey, and 75% of people said they had this amazing Christmas. But then slowly but surely, people started trickling in and all of a sudden there was this influx of people writing in to say actually it wasn't so perfect. So other than the nines and the five combos out there, woohoo you guys, um, all the rest of us have issues. Plus I have to be honest and that's why I'm dispelling the myth that there's any perfect combo type. Those are both two withdrawing types and I've actually seen those types in my office too because they lost the magic and they weren't spending any time together. I can think of two couples nines and fives off the top of my head who have come into my office for that specific reason. And it wasn't perfect. So I'm not trying to bring anybody down or be a Debbie Downer. But I do want you guys to know that you have to work at marriage. If you're going to work in a relationship, then there's going to be conflict. There's going to be unseen conflict. Sometimes you're not going to feel it's worth it to talk it out. Sometimes you are. There's just going to be a beautiful longing for heaven because life is never going to be perfect with your spouse. And you're going to find yourselves out of sorts at times and not wanting to carry on the tradition of marriage, not wanting to be the one who has to bear witness to God's love and faithfulness and forgiveness through marriage. There's going to be times like that. And so it's a real myth, and it's a really strong passion of mine to help people to understand that marriage is important, and we want to make it as beautiful as possible, and we want to hold that Philippians attitude of you know, not growing weary, and we want to make sure that we are Thinking on good things, and it's just such a good Philippians is such a good Bible verse if you need to be encouraged and consider others as better than yourselves. I think the Enneagram Nine does a great job of that, but that's that's part of marriage. But there are just moments where every couple type comes to the end of themselves and says, "Oh my gosh, my spouse is very stuck in the worst of their type. I'm very stuck in my worst, and and we don't know what to do." And that's the moment in our lives where we have to draw on God, and that's definitely something that I want you to take from this podcast today is that when you are feeling like you are just tired of even the myth that marriage is amazing, that you can rely on God for those moments and watch Him bless you. Because I can't tell you how many times I've come to the end of myself over 20 years, and even recently going back to my old journals and looking, which, by the way, is very hard for me to do as a seven, I'm like, why did I even write these freaking journals? (laughs)
1: No. why do I do this? And you feel the same, Olivia. Going back and I was deleting a bunch of old Facebook posts. And I remember one was like, I have the social skills of a sparkly Ugg." And I'm like, oh, why no. did I do these things? But I'm like laughing later because I'm like, that oh is the gosh. weirdest thing I've ever said. But I'm like, so true. But no, there's nothing more embarrassing than going back and looking at your old things and going, oh goodness, mm-hmm. I'm surprised I had any friends. <laughs> you right. like, what was I doing with my life? Right, you have no idea
0: how disgusting it feels to go, well, some of you do, when you go back and you (laughs) see you're still in the same place, you haven't really grown, but you see that God has been good to you through the years. And you realize, wow, through my weaknesses, he's done so much. And it seems like all the Bible verses that I've ever considered to be my life verse are all about me resting while he takes the load and me having to understand that in my weakness, his power is made manifest. And I think that's a really important gift that we bring to our spouses in marriage is saying, You know what? I really have to just admit it. I'm a mess sometimes, and I really thank you that you love me. I'm going to keep doing my best and keep trying, but this is me. And this is us, and that is where we're headed, is kind of into the unknown. And I think that it was so important and powerful when a marriage therapist about 10 years ago told Wes and I, we had very little girls at the time. They were toddlers, and we were going through a life transition with one of his parents. And, and she said to us, when I had littles, I was completely clueless on life and what to do. And my husband was also completely clueless. And this is a woman who is counseling us from age 60s. And her husband, likewise, age 60s or about 70. And she was able to say, I am so much happier now. I am so much richer in my life experiences. I would not go back to those days if you paid me. And so it was really fun for us to hear. We were like 30 years old and we were like, oh, thank God somebody can relate, be honest, dispel the myth that marriage is perfect and that we are supposed to have it all together. So I think that's one of the most important things about Just everything with marriage is knowing that Enneagram typing or not, even if you get down to tri-type, subtype, you know your wings, you've got balance, you're leaning, and we'll get into all of that in more depth in future episodes, we just want you to know that we get it if at the end of the day, sometimes you just have a hard day, hard season, especially this time of year, holidays are rough and tough, and I want you to have a really good tool to take into this season with you, and that is the Enneagram and Marriage Workbook. So we are going to have that for you, and what it is, is it's actually available now, and it's a little book that is about 25 pages, and so it's in-depth enough to not knock you out with 150 pages of in-depth college-level reading, but just a conversational piece on marriage and how you can navigate the murky waters of Enneagram with some sense. I will put in there um, a link at the end of the show notes, but I also want you to know that we are really bringing this to you so that you can get a sense of not judging your spouse, not judging yourself, but just a sense of direction for where you're headed because we know that so many memes, as we mentioned on the earlier part of the show, are just out there making people think that if you're a one, you're hopeless. If you're a three, forget about it. You know, If you're a seven, you really forget about it. (laughs) Um, And we get it. We know the hard days come, but we do want you to have tools because the most beautiful thing about life is that you do get the chance for new mercies every morning. You get a chance to grow, to learn, to shape your destiny. It doesn't have to be just everything that happens to you. You get to choose what happens many of the times. And especially the biggest thing I think you're taking from today's episode is the grace to give to yourself and others through the Enneagram and even outside of the Enneagram. But our tool is going to be about the Enneagram for you so that you have a conclusive place you can look to for your spouse's type, for your type. It tells you how to love each type. It talks to you about subtypes and wings and all that so that you have armor for when you hit the hardest and roughest moments. But outside of that, you're going to have to go to God. So make sure that you, even if you've Enneagrammed yourselves out, that you really understand His mercies are truly new every morning.
1: I think another really great tool is uh, on the Enneagram Institute site. If you go to your type, like if I were to go to like a six and I had a friend that was like a two, I could go and it says compatibility with other types. Oh, I love that. And that has been so helpful because I'm like, oh, and this is just showing I'm pretty sure they're talking about average levels when mm-hmm. they're when they're doing this, too. So it's not yeah. like they're really great, you know, like super healthy people. Mm-hmm. They can relate to each other. Great. But otherwise, you know, you're you're done. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that's a really great tool if you do know their type or at least you maybe think that, you know, their type if they haven't taken the test really helpful because it'll show you the areas where you're going to have some conflict so you can maybe know if you're just friends to avoid that or if you are in a, in a marriage some things that maybe you would want to go to a counselor and speak about to kind of um have a third party like a neutral party there that can be like hey guys you know don't get out of bounds here keep it together Mm -hmm. because those are things that um and if you've gone through premarital counseling they -hmm. typically will go through that with you of kind of like here are some problem areas you might have Mm -hmm. but if you didn't or if something new has arisen it's really nice to have that compatibility kind of page where you can look over things and see where do we hit really well together and then where are areas where we're likely going to have problems because you know that they're coming a lot of times in life you don't know when a problem is going to come so to kind of have a a roadmap and like a cheat sheet saying like hey this might be a problem for you it gives you a head start instead of having to work on it when you're already frustrated in the in the problem itself it gives you time to sort of prepare for a potential thing that Mm -hmm. could happen you know Mm -hmm. in the future or coming up with a holiday season like we were talking about really nice to have that available
0: It is. That's such a great reminder, Olivia. I love that. That's at the Institute.com. And they do have that wonderful, if you've mistyped, if you are looking at how to relate with somebody, they've got it all. So that's really important when we're thinking about how can I understand people but not judge them. And that will help you not to villainize them too when you see, oh, maybe every single two is like this. And maybe this is because they're in the shame triad. And maybe it's because as I look a little deeper, they fear a Abandonment, and so there's things that will help you to say, "I love them, and I will tarry with them and their issues, just as they tarry with me and mine." And that's a beautiful tool. And our Enneagram and Marriage Workbook is also available at our website, reflectionscc.com or you can visit our link at Instagram Enneagram and in Marriage. But we really hope that you have such a wonderful New Year, and we want to give you every tool we can possibly think of. So keep listening to this podcast because we're going to keep. Keep delivering content that we think you'll love. Have a great day,
1: guys. Bye.